Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. We're up to episode 34. Steve Olson here with Kurt Mortensen. We're ready to rock with another episode about how to better connect with your prospects and have massive, just astronomical success in everything you do. How does that sound, Kurt? I like it. If you could connect with people, if you connect with anyone, make a huge difference in your world of persuasion. That is correct. And I was being a little bit sarcastic, but I'm also a big believer in connectivity because... When it's fake, oh, it's just so painful. But when it's real, people will pay more. They will act quicker. They will do things that they normally probably wouldn't do because there is a good connection. So we want to make sure that that's loud and clear for all of you listeners. We're glad to have you listening to the show. Please send us your feedback to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. If you have any ideas, if you have any comments, criticisms, whatever you like, please send it. We're also very interested in hearing your Persuasion Ninja stories. So send them over there. If you think you're a ninja, we will talk about it on the show. Maybe we'll judge. We'll get Judge Kurt back out. You gotta be looking for a gavel sound. Will you do that, Kurt? <laughs> I'm on it. That's okay. your homework for the week. So we'll, we'll see if Kurt does his homework, everybody. If not, I will publicly castigate him on the air. Ooh. <laughs> I don't want to deal with that one. <laughs> I'll have to find another sound for that one, too. So. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a... <laughs> a, a good, no, I was thinking about a good scream. <laughs> something. Something <laughs> horrifying. So That'll do it. Yeah, what you been up to? What's the latest? Been a little ill. So, listeners, I'm working on my deeper, more credible or sexy voice, whatever you want to call it. Deeper voices are more credible, but this is based on the weather turning on. It's a little more cold, so I don't know if that's what got me, but my first illness... Of the winter, even though it's officially spring. I'm dealing with it, but other than that, I'm doing well. Heading to New York this week, so hopefully it warms up there. Hopefully it does. I spent the weekend down in Orange County, California, your old stomping grounds. That's the place. Yeah, driving all over the place, looking at real estate, watching my, my team lose in the NCAA tournament, and have now recovered from that disappointment. It's kind of funny <laughs> in sports how... Every year, almost everybody's just totally disappointed, unless your team's really bad and you have no expectations going into the year, right? <laughs> well, that's one of the first years I didn't get sucked into the March Madness. I was just busy, and I knew if I'd started, it would be hard to stop. But it's true. If Once your team loses, it's like, eh, it was rigged. Yeah, well. Yeah, it was the refs. It was the refs or, well, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so. But anyway, it's whole sports psychology is a whole interesting thing. Maybe we should talk about it one of these times. Yeah, well, I'll go ahead and offend the fans of the University of Arizona, but they did not take it well, right? We were talking about disappointment, but I don't know if you heard, but some of the students uh, were rioting in Tucson, Arizona after their loss, and the riot cops came out with their gear on and had to put everybody down. So did not take losing well. Yeah, I've seen that. I didn't hear about the particular story, but I've been in cities where major teams have lost and fights erupted and people go nuts and things get broken and... It's mass hysteria. People get really committed to it. They take it very seriously. And, you know, it's March Madness. It's kind of fun, though. I was attending a workshop, and I got to say, curse that March Madness app on the iPad. 
I could sit there at the back of the workshop and be watching like three games at once and not paying attention at all. It's a pretty cool app. Kudos to NCAA for releasing that app. <laughs> this is interesting with that whole hysteria, how fans get so involved. They have nothing to do with the win or the loss. It's not like their cheering is going to help really that man. I mean, there's the, the whole scenario what the fans can do and playing at home, but how yeah. they take it personally and, I know when I lived out in Pittsburgh how when the Steelers would lose or the Penguins or the Pirates, work productivity would go down, fights would go up. It's a real thing, but logically you look at it, you're like, really? Does work productivity go up when the team's doing well? I would think it's down, too. It's like sports are bad for business, period, unless you're in that business. You know, that's a good point. I haven't seen that study. It's probably true with people celebrating, but I think probably with the good mood, they probably get more done. They're not as angry at the world and beating up their coworkers, but I haven't seen the, the reverse to be true. I would assume so at least a little bit, or at least on average, but it doesn't sink as much as losing. I'm not a psychologist, but I would recommend that uh, you have something else going on in your life just in case your team doesn't happen to win the national championship or the Super Bowl <laughs> every year, because I don't like your odds. Yeah, good point. It will make your life miserable. you got to find some other things to hold on to. Yeah, that's right. Well, <laughs> March Madness. It's pure madness, and it's almost over. And there you go. We've made it this far into the podcast without talking about food, so let's skip over that, and let's get <laughs> on to what we wanted to cover today. Because we talked last week about the law of connectivity and mirroring and matching our prospects. And this week, we're going to get a little bit deeper into that concept, like I said at the beginning of the show. However, we wanted to talk a little bit about humor. We've brought humor up on the show before. It's extremely valuable if you're good at it, and you can cover so much in so little time if you can build humor into your presentation, and especially when you're building a brand, too. You look at some of the, the ads out there on TV right now that people like that make them laugh, and they buy the product because of that, because of that brand presence. But you had the study there on humor and something about chronic conditions and more weird, curt, geeky stuff. <laughs> it is. We all know it's fun to laugh. It's fun to smile. And if you do presentations, a lot of people will just smile on the inside. And we know this to be true. You've probably seen the movie Patch Adams. There's something about humor and healing. This particular article talks about humor can help patients better manage chronic conditions. And they talk about laughter is the best medicine and how it improves our health, that it's frequently used by people with these chronic illnesses to help them adjust and understand what's happening to them. And they did a study with cartoons, how it provided clarity to patients and, and it engaged them. And it was like one of these untapped resources, they called it. This was in the Journal of Health Services Research. And we've seen these studies all over the place. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but humor changes our health. It changes our outlook. And humor and persuasion is huge. That's all I have to say. I've just spent years studying humor and persuasion, there's a direct correlation. If you can get your audience to laugh, to smile, to smile on the inside, to smirk, to chuckle, to feel better, the doors of persuasion swing open. They like you better. They remember you more. They remember the message. And when they laugh with you, it pretty much tells you they've accepted you. They've accepted your message. You've connected with them. They like you more and they are easier to persuade. True. I think it's really powerful in the fact that nothing lowers somebody's guard more than humor and nothing really opens that door more than somebody who doesn't take themselves too seriously, who is able to effectively use that self-deprecating humor. Am I right? Oh, self-deprecating humor is huge, especially as a presenter, because you will make mistakes. Yeah. And if you trip on the stage or have your fly down or fall off the stage or take your mic into the bathroom, which I've done all of those, right? Listeners know I've made those mistakes. 
if you start cursing and get upset and kick the stage and throw the podium off the platform, wow, you've lost your whole audience. But if you can make fun of yourself, laugh at yourself, know that you're not perfect, all those things make a huge difference in your ability to connect with the audience. And it also puts you on their level to you're not this big expert up here on the platform, but you're just like them. Yep, puts you on their level. It humanizes you. So good info, good info, Kurt. So kind of playing off of that, we want to get a little bit more into attraction and similarity. So attraction being one of the components of connectivity. So supermodels and uh, adult film people should be the best persuaders. Is that what we're saying here? <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but let me just put it to you this way, that we're not going to be politically correct here, that there is something about how you look in attraction. Now, I wouldn't say supermodels. I say, or if you're drop-dead gorgeous or handsome, I think that would have the opposite approach. I think so, yeah. If you're out of their league, if you're too perfect, if there's no imperfections, then all of a sudden it has the opposite effect. But if you're overall above average, good-looking, or handsome, all of a sudden what happens is called the halo effect to where you're automatically judged to have more skills than you actually have. You're, you're more trustworthy than you actually are. You're smarter than you actually are. And we see this all the time. Again, I'm not saying that you could fix all these things. I'm just telling you that's how it is. Most CEOs are over six foot tall. Male CEOs are something about height. There's something about weight. There's a direct correlation between your weight and your lifetime earnings. More for females than males. Again, not fair. It's how it is. And it's a variety of things as far as how you look. We know in the judicial system that ugly convicts get longer prison sentences for the same crime than the better looking ones. We know in college, and all professors will deny this, but the better-looking students get better grades for the same amount of work. We know in daycare that the more attractive kids get in less trouble than the less attractive kids. We know in presidential election that 9 out of 10 times the better candidate usually wins. There's something about looks and, and connecting with people, but it's not just looks. I mean, don't get upset with me, listeners. Some things we can fix, some things we can't. Even like facial hair decreases credibility. We've talked about that. There's height, there's weight, there's looks, but there's three parts to attraction. There is your looks, there are your clothes, and your personality. So the first one we've talked about is your looks. There's just something about that. And of course, Steve, I think you know that there's a whole industry based on this called booth babes. You know what a booth babe is? I'm ashamed to admit to say that I've hired a booth babe before. <laughs> You've hired a booth babe. Now, relax, listeners, are booth dudes too, but it's a good-looking person in your booth at a trade show that brings people in. And even though they know nothing about the product or service, you get more people to talk to. They're just going to come to the booth. They're going to go where the attractive people are. <laughs> so that's the attraction side. The next are the clothes you wear. And it's interesting that as you go down the ladder, people dress differently, a lot of different styles. But as you get go up the corporate ladder, it gets a lot more similar and similar and similar. You want to stand out a little bit as you go up the corporate ladder, but you also want to blend in as you get up there and realize that you get judged on your clothes. I know when I'm in a hotel lobby going to work out, I get treated much differently than when I'm in a suit and a tie going to teach the seminar. We know in New York when people were jaywalking that most people won't jaywalk unless somebody goes first. Yeah, so the first way. Right? Especially in New York if you're an out-of-towner. So they yeah. would put someone in a jeans and a T-shirt cross first people they would count the number of people that they followed them across and then the next day another corner and a thousand dollar suit and nice shoes and almost three times more people followed that person across so there's something about being judged on the clothes we wear well people shouldn't judge well hello 
That might be true, but they do judge. It's how we are. It's how we're programmed. You can't get away with that. Your clothes matter. So how you look, very important. You might want to take a look. Look at the pictures. Are you in style with the clothing? So how you look and then the clothing. And the other one is your personality. Do you have an ugly personality? Are you sucking the life out of people? There's something about personality. In fact, you can show people pictures out of a yearbook and describe their personality and the positive traits. They're actually rated more attractive than they actually are. So when you put all those three together, there's something about attraction and getting people to like you based on your looks, based on your clothes, and based on your personality. Some of these things we can fix, go for it. Some of these things you can't do what you can, but you need to be aware how people are judging you. Agreed. And at the risk of sounding shallow, you had mentioned earlier that when it comes to the physical attribute side of attraction and, and your looks, that there really isn't anything that we can do about that. But I mean, that's changing. The fact is, if you've got a mouthful of crooked yellow pirate looking teeth, there's something that can be done about that. You might live in, uh, everybody jokes about the, the dentistry in England, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's our offender. We just yep, offended there, England. Our, our offense right. for the day, the United Kingdom, hats off to you. <laughs> and your reputation precedes you on dentistry. But if you've got teeth like that, that's not considered to be attractive in this day and age. I mean, the dentists have been around for a long time. Teeth get straightened. They get whitened. They get bonded. And that goes a long way. When you're talking, people are looking at your mouth. And if you've got these gross-looking pirate teeth in there, it's a strike against you. So go have a look in the mirror, listener, and ask yourself, do you have pirate teeth? All right? <laughs> I know it sounds a little bit nuts, but you'd be surprised how many times I run across it, right, where people haven't really done anything there. And that's something that's getting more and more common. It's more and more expected that, hey, you should at least try on your teeth. Or am I, am I nuts here, Kurt? No, you're right on. Some of these things we can fix, some things we can't. But then on the other side of it, you have to realize that we see our teeth every day and sometimes we don't think about it. We get used to it. We don't really realize that we have body odor or crooked teeth or yellow teeth or we're gaining too much weight or any of those things or having hair growing in strange places that could disconnect us from other people. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. all have these issues and we can some of these things we can truly look at and fix. But sometimes we get so busy and so caught up and not really thinking about it that we miss some of the things that really throw people off and give us a disconnect instead of a connect. Definitely. It's a big problem. I saw, too, a speaker at a workshop once, and she made this point just brilliantly, okay, kind of in a jokingly way, said, okay, everybody here whose mother got them dressed this morning, raise your hands. And everybody kind of chuckles. <laughs> Nobody raises their hand. And she goes, okay, then look at the people around you. They got up and they chose to wear what they're wearing today. <laughs> and so imagine some of the people in that room felt pretty awkward, right? And, you know, you're going out, you chose to put that stuff on. And people subconsciously know that you chose to do that. And, and it's kind of like the teeth. You get in this habit of these are my clothes and they're comfortable and I've worn them for years. But what other people think about that? <laughs> I've done that in a seminar before, a little bit different. I said, we took a vote. We talk about personalities, and I say, we took a vote earlier about who has the ugliest personality here, and I'm going to have them stand up in a second. And I kind of talk, and people start squirming. They're looking around. They think it's them. <laughs> I didn't do a poll, and I wouldn't do that to people, but I just like to watch them squirm. That's my thing as far as they get really nervous, thinking, oh, what if it's me? Is it? Oh, it's probably so-and-so. 
But that's true. We forget about it sometimes. We don't think about it, but other people are, and we need to have it on our radar. Yeah. And and I think what we jokingly opened with, you know, you don't have to look like a supermodel. And you made the really good point, I think, that if you're too attractive, right, <laughs> you a lot of times people are going to hold that against you and, and you're going to have just as much of a hurdle to get over as people who are just downright ugly. And that was kind of a hurdle, I think, in the last presidential election. Like people like to joke about Romney's hair and how perfect he was, right? It took <laughs> a, a while for people to get past that. So maybe make yourself uglier if you're just a knockout. Yeah, we like a little few imperfections. And in politics, it's interesting that if you have kind of the characteristics of a baby face, you think about some of the people that are in politics, the baby face look is one that also pulls well, too, especially those that take the questions from the press and are always out there. They tend to have more of a baby face look than those, and they're more trusted than those who don't. Yeah, there was a movie based on the book by John Grisham. Uh, you've heard of Runaway Jury. And the premise of the book is that you know, a juror sneaks his way onto this panel. So the whole book and the movie is about this process of the, the plaintiff and the defense trying to convince the jury to vote in their favor for the verdict. And Dustin Hoffman is the plaintiff's attorney in the movie. And they're at trial and they go to lunch during the break during this trial. And he's got this big smear of mustard on his tie. And his assistant said, oh, you've got mustard on your tie. He goes, I know I put it there on purpose, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's a folksy jury. He's trying to identify with them. I mean, it's it's a pretty entertaining movie when it comes to body language and perceptions. I mean, these guys are pulling out all the stops with jury consultants and everything. That's a, a whole industry, the industry of jury consulting to try to make the attorneys and the plaintiffs and the defendants more likable and more relatable to the jury because... Nothing is worse than if you're the defendant and the jury doesn't like you. There isn't an attraction or a similarity there. <laughs> and that's true. We mentioned the convict study. And it's interesting when we talk about juries is that the best time, if you have to go to court, if you're in trouble and you need a jury, make sure it happens in December because the jury tends to be a lot more lenient in December. Yep, that's true. People definitely feel more generous in December. I've noticed before that local food banks, they really get aggressive in their campaigning. I've seen ads before that say, hey, people are hungry in June too, right? <laughs> because nobody's giving, nobody's donating in June because they, they just think, oh, everything's fine. But in December, you know, your people soften up. It's just kind of part of the season, whether you are a big Christmas celebrator or not. That's how it is. It's human nature. So... Put that one in the back of your mind when you have to go to court. Just do it December. Yeah, yeah, go in December. Judge says, hey, we need to continue. No, Your Honor, we are going in <laughs> December. I will not try this case in January. Okay. Well, good stuff. So the main takeaways from what we've been talking about today, everybody, is on the attraction level, there are a few things that you can do to make yourself attractive, even if you ugly, right? So <laughs> teeth, hair, grooming, smell, and those are basic things that, that everybody could do, right? And everybody can improve yeah. their their looks and their dress. We could all can, we all can. I can even do that. And personality. We can choose to be more optimistic. We can choose to be more likable. We can choose to attract better people in our lives. So there are a lot of things here. I would say the majority we can change, we can adjust, we can fix. Absolutely. And you know what? I always keep in my laptop bag and in my desk mints, right? Because... 
I live with my breath all day, every day, but not everybody else does. So I frankly don't have any idea how it smells, <laughs> okay? And I'm not going to take that chance. So I've always got mints. Whenever I'm going to go meet with a client or, or somebody, I know that I'm going to have good breath. I'm not going to take the chance. And I think that's another one too. Like the dress, like the teeth, we live with it. We just assume that it's okay, but it might not be. That's an interesting point and, and valid. In fact, they did studies at trade shows, the number one complaint of people coming up to them and talking to them. And I think it shocked everybody when the number one thing was bad breath. And that wow. is so easy to fix. But then again, a skunk can't smell its own stink sometimes. We just don't know that we don't know that we don't know. And if you don't know, it doesn't matter if you don't know, just get a mint. It's better to be sweet smelling or clean smelling or minty than it is to offend people. Yeah, because not only are you smelling good, but that's it's such a wide swing. I mean, how horrible is it, Kurt, when you're talking to somebody with bad breath? And for some reason, those people always want to keep talking too. Right? <laughs> they're close talkers. They're right? close talkers, and they're just and they use H's a lot. Hi, right? Exactly. <laughs> and that's important because that's the only thing going through your brain. I got to get away. What's going on? That's bad breath. What do you just eat a, a dead moose? What's going? You know, all these things are happening to where you're not even listening to what they're saying. So yeah, yeah. But if they've got that's... good breath, then you're sitting there going, "Yeah, this is, there's good breath. There's a good smell." What they're saying is good. I mean, there's so many subconscious triggers happening there. Wow, just have some mints on you would go a long ways. So that's takeaway number one. Takeaway number two is I believe you're talking about how you dress, right? So is there a standard that we should follow or how would somebody know if they're doing that right without hiring some kind of high-end consultant? Well, if you're moving up the corporate ladder in the way at the bottom, you want to stand out a little bit and dress sort of similar to the CEOs up top. So if everyone up top's wearing blue suits and white shirts or dress suits for the women, maybe you want to wear blue pants and a white shirt, something more casual. And as you go up, you want to kind of start absorbing that style. Number one. Number two is if you going to a presentation, if you're going to a negotiation, probably be a couple steps higher than the audience. If you come into a negotiation and you're the only one in the suit, they're just sitting there in business casual. Maybe you showed up without a tie. You can take off your suit jacket. There's a couple ways to dress down. If, if you're feeling that you're dressed up too much, you can take off your suit jacket. Then a little bit later, you take off a tie. As you know, when we do our three-day seminars, the very first day, I'm in a blue suit, red tie, white shirt. Then after a while, the tie comes off, and the next day, it's more business casual. The next day, it's Aloha shirt and jeans. <laughs> yep, yep. But slowly, but I would never start that way because that would decrease credibility. That's what their expectations are. We can slowly dress down and, and match the audience. Yeah, and you create more of a casual feel. You get on their level, but you impressed them out of the shoot. It's very effective. I always have a, a blazer and a tie in my car with me. If I've got to, that I can be looking pretty professional in a short period of time, but then I'm business casual just like that, you know, jeans and a polo or a collared shirt or something, right? So. And that's so simple to do. So yeah. simple to do. Yeah. Well, great, great. I hear Homer. Don't, don't, don't. Oh. There's Homer. Oh, and the ninja sound. What's up with that? What? You just blew my mind. How could that possibly happen is my <laughs> surprise to fake. Whammy. Is that possible in one interaction? I, I think it is. I don't know. Uh, you broke my brain. We might have to shut the <laughs> podcast down after this. Well, we've been You've got explaining to do. <laughs> we've been talking about car salesmen quite a bit. There's the positive and negative side. And my wife's been doing a lot of shopping. It's that mm -hmm. time of year. I mean, they're selling a lot of cars right now. A, because of the time of year, and B, people realize, oh, 
the economy's not getting better. <laughs> I've been driving this for three years, hoping it would get better, and it didn't. And now my car won't run, so everyone's shopping. It's actually quite the buyer's market right now. So here's the ninja side, because a lot of times you go to the car lot, and you've got your armor on, and your guard up. And my wife found a car that she liked. She wasn't too sure. She I was taking a look at it, maybe hadn't heard too much about this car. And he said, oh, well, take it for a ride, right? Didn't ask for any driver's license or any identification, so she took it for a ride and kept it for a little while, showed the mechanic. The mechanic said it was good, and then she came back and says, I don't know, how much do you want? We're not sure. I'm still looking around. She says, tell you what, I'll give you X amount of dollars for your your other car here, trade here. Just leave it here. Drive it around for three days. I don't want you to make a decision unless you're sure. So that is the ninja. That, as you know, is called the puppy dog clothes. That, as you know, is probably the easiest, quickest way to convince somebody that it's good. Yep. Now, that's assuming that it runs well, it has all the features that you want. Now, obviously, if it broke down, <laughs> all the knobs fell off, all these, it would have the opposite. But if you know it's a great product or great service or a great car, then put it in people's hands. Yeah. That's more persuasive than anything. Yeah, if your puppy dog goes home and pees everywhere and poos everywhere, then uh, it's not going to be great. Yeah, or barks all night or choose your favorite slippers or whatever yep. it is. Opposite effect. I but don't want that know, puppy dog. That'll make a difference. And this is true with nutritional-type products. I could tell you, well, it's going to do this, and you're going to sleep better and have more energy. And Yeah, okay. No, try it for a month. Tell me how you feel. It's more powerful than anything you can say, and that's true here. So that's the ninja move. Three days, there was no transfer of information. I don't even think the car dealer knew who my wife was as far as ID is concerned. I mean, he had the trade-in, so I'm sure he wasn't too worried about it. And done. She sold herself. She liked it. And uh, she talked to him on the phone. She says, okay, work up the numbers. And he said, do you want the extended warranty? Another 100,000 miles. And she says, hmm, I don't know. I guess he's all, it's this much. This. He says, okay, yeah, let's do that. And we started talking about it. And as you know, that's mostly fat, as they call it in the sales industry. It means yeah. it's more, mostly profit for the salesperson. They probably get, what would you guess, about 50, 60% of that? A huge commission. A huge yeah. chunk. I mean, that's probably more than, they'll make more off that than they do a car a lot of times. Absolutely. So he was dancing in the streets, and we get there and says, no, we don't want that. And he, and you could see, I was looking at his micro expressions. You could see, he was like, oh, crap, now what? And he had his fake smile on. Oh, that's okay. That doesn't matter. You know, you never know with these type of things. <laughs> And throughout the next time, I would say it was probably another eight times he mentioned warranty and how that risky that was, and you never know. Then he would kind of bounce back back to try to soothe it, then he would go to the negative, and then go back and forth to the point where I was just like, really? I'm ready to walk. This is ridiculous. Trying to sound so, objective, and it was just He was way not too objective. He kept bringing it up, and yeah. it was starting to be painful, and it was so obvious. Yeah, he did lose some money, but he was about to lose a lot more money if he didn't quit talking about it. So... Mr. Car Salesman, in the Hawaiian shirt, which he did have on, <laughs> <laughs> you are both the ninja and the homer of the week on this podcast. Wow. I wonder who wins. Well, obviously, the ninja, the ninja won just barely by the skin of his teeth there. Barely. And that was mostly because we didn't feel like going through the hassle again. And that's true with a lot of issues. Like, oh, whatever. Even though you've offended me, let's do it. This is a win, win So, I mean, that's not really a bona fide ninja, somebody that just hassled you into doing it because you're like, I just don't want to go through this again. <laughs> not exactly <laughs> well, jumping up and down. the ninja was persuading my wife that, hey, yeah, this is a good deal. So the ninja was there. It was just he almost lost it with his homer homerness with what he was doing. Homerness, yeah. Well, so much of that is solved when you can get to the mindset of you're just going to do what's best for your client. And... 
it really does take a long view. It takes a, a big perspective on things. Because if you do that, right, maybe your wife doesn't get the extended warranty, but does she refer people? Does she come back again, right? Because you felt like the guy was looking out for you and, and your best interests. That, that happened to me at the Apple store in Orange County the other day. I left my laptop charger at home. And I went down to Orange County on business for a couple of days. I get to my hotel, ready to do a bunch of work, and my laptop's dead. Oh, I'll just get my chair. Oh, I forgot it, right? Mm -hmm. So I go to the Apple store the next day, and I'm buying this charger. And the guy comes out with these, what, what happened to your other charger? Did it not work, or is it broken, or you lose it? I said, no, no, I'm down here on business, and I forgot my charger. I got to have another one. And he goes, oh, well, you can just bring this one back within 14 days. And I, I thought about that for quite a while. And I thought, you know, the traditional sales manager would probably fire that guy, <laughs> right? But how much more money or how many more times am I going to am I gonna go back because they did something that was right for me? And I'm already a total Apple crackhead anyways, but uh, so I don't know that it would have affected me one way or the other. But it, it was something that was good for me. I don't have any ill will. I probably would have left out there grumbling before and been a lot more careful about what I purchased there and what I did in the future. Yeah, I happened to be at a hardware store where they said, you know, this is not the best place to buy that type of thing. You should go here. I'm thinking, should they be fired? Am I going to be more loyal? And it, people appreciate that. If you're looking for long-term customers, long-term loyalty, it makes a huge difference rather than the short-term one. And we've asked this question at seminars before, is how many people have bought a car from the same car salesperson from the same lot. And I'd say it's less than 10, 15% because we get abused, we get used, we're tired of old techniques. And that is the old technique. You just wear them down and after six hours, and they've lost your trade and you just, all right, give me the dang thing. And people just don't have the mindset that they should walk at that point because they're so invested with all their time that they just get it anyway and never come back. Yep, that's how it is. People, the, the trust level, you just feel like you're going to get taken. So why would you go back to do that again? Exactly. Yeah. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Once again, check us out at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's where the blog is. Quick little entries we have there along with links to listen to each and every episode. And a little bird told me that we will be releasing a premium version eventually and chronicling a lot of these past episodes and offering a ton more content. And that bird told me that. Did it tell it to you too, Kurt? Uh, it wasn't a bird. It was a lizard. But I, you know. <laughs> Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from. A bird told me. So if a bird could talk, I've seen talking lizards on TV. But anyway, I heard the same thing. I won't tell you what the animal was. How's that? What do you thought? <laughs> the expression, a little bird told me, is a real thing. A little lizard told me is totally <laughs> not real. I'm just throwing you off your game. I've heard the expression before. But when you think about the expression, it still doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And I, there really was no little bird. But uh, yeah, we're, we're working on that, everybody. That's what I'm trying to say. So subscribe at iTunes, BlackBerry Marketplace, Windows Marketplace, Stitcher. We're on all of those. We would love to have you as a listener to the show. And send us your comments to maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. And have a great week. See you next week. 